Good morning, everybody. I am Daniel. I'm the executive pastor here at Madison Church. Um, and as I'm getting some stuff out of my bag, getting some stuff set up here, um, a lot of you, some of you, might know this about us, and some of you might not. And for those of you who don't, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a peek behind the curtain, um, tell you a little bit about how the sausage is made, maybe. Uh, but we get a lot of our materials uh, for these message series from uh, some folks down in the Chicago area at Community Christian. Um, and what we do is, as we go through the notes, we sort of distill the main points of it, um, and then we customize it for you guys, our community, and that way you get high-quality messages and concepts, but it stays relevant to us here in Madison. So the series we're working on now, uh, it was originally written about three or four years ago, uh, before the 2016 election, uh, and so it had references to Obama as president and uh, relied pretty heavily on some Chicago sports teams, neither of which are relevant to the majority of us here today. So the first change I made is this. The guy who wrote the message started off by putting on a jersey for the White Sox and talking about how he used to go to the games when he was younger. Uh, those of you who have talked to me more than once know that I am not a fan of the White Sox or any other sports teams, and I've never owned a sports jersey in my life. So clearly that's going to have to change. So instead, I brought a different piece of clothing to illustrate some of the same points, and it looks like this. So, this is, uh, very few of you have probably ever seen this right here, but this is the hat that I was given on my first day on the job for Google. Uh, it has all the primary colors. Go ahead and zoom in on that. Make sure that people online can see it. It has all the primary colors of Google's logo uh, and their coloring scheme. It has the spinning beanie propeller on the top and the word Noogler on the front, which is a portmanteau for new Googler. You can go ahead and zoom back out again. Now, a jersey, anyone can buy a jersey, right? Uh, you can even get it with the number and the name of your favorite quarterback or pitcher or whatever to show your support and your pride for the team that you love. Uh, but for the members of the team, it's way more important. They get to wear the jersey of their team as they walk out onto the playing field during the big game in front of thousands of screaming fans. Some of them grew up dreaming of the day they would have that opportunity, and they worked for years to achieve it. That's a little closer to why I wear this hat. Now, you might be thinking, that's just silly. And well, yeah, there's a certain amount of silliness in a propeller beanie. That's intentional. It reminds us the workplace can still be fun. But the athletes who wear the official jerseys don't think that those are silly. And most of the people who receive these hats are proud to receive them. It's an honor 
a privilege, and it comes with certain responsibilities and expectations. And this is where I make the shift and say that everyone, in some form or another, wears a jersey or a Nugler beanie or some other form of uniform that brings privilege, responsibility, and expectations. Your jersey might be a shirt that's covered in drool or milk stains from rocking a baby to sleep. That uniform comes with a lot of responsibility and expectations and also a lot of sleepless nights. The clothes that you wear for your employer might not have a little plastic propeller on top, but you still might wear clothes that represent an organization. And that uniform carries privilege and expectations as well. A lot of people take pride in the uniform that they wear for their employer. Then there's the uniform of the men and the women in our armed forces, in our police or fire or medical first responders groups. And I want to thank any of you here or watching online for your service and dedication to helping your fellow Americans. And for most of us, God willing, there is a uniform that comes later. After years and years of experience, this uniform might include wrinkles, thin gray hair, maybe a thicker pair of glasses or a cane. But the perks that come with that uniform include getting to spoil the grandkids rotten, sugar them up, and send them home with their parents. We all have some form of uniform. But there's another uniform that takes precedence over all the others in our life. It's the jersey of jerseys, or maybe the beanie of beanies. It was bought with a great price, but it's freely given. And this is the jersey that identifies us as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, and it screams out that we are God's masterpiece. I'm not referring to the shirt I'm wearing. This is just a church shirt, but... <laughs> So Masterpiece is the title of the series. We're about halfway through. This series is based on the teachings of the book of Ephesians, uh, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a city in what we now call Turkey. Uh, to recap, in week one, we talked about the labels that we use and how regardless of how we might sometimes think less of ourselves, we can remember that as believers, we are God's masterpiece because we have been adopted into the family of God. Last week, we learned that we're called to see each other first and foremost as the children of God, which makes us family and should lead us to show each other grace and compassion. And today, I'm talking to you about fitting in to that uniform of uniforms. Because fitting into this jersey, this uniform, is actually a lifelong process. You can't just try it on and hope it fits. It takes time. A constant stripping off of the old and putting on the new. And that's not just something I made up. It's, it's written here in our scriptures. So what does it mean to wear a uniform? If you're a fan in the stands or at a tailgate party, it doesn't mean much, right? Uh, it means you support them and you hope they have a good season. But for the players... It's more than that, right? It means this is part of my identity. 
I'm a Packer. I'm a Viking. And if I'm a Packer, it also means that I'm not something else, right? Aaron Rodgers can't be the quarterback for both the Packers and the Vikings. And the same thing is true for those of us who wear God's uniform. The jersey of jerseys is the identity that we are given when we choose to follow Jesus. But if we are his children, it means that we are not something else. So let's go ahead and open up God's word now. Uh, You can follow along in your own Bible if you've brought one. Uh, Feel free to use the Bible app on your smartphone. We've got these blue Bibles sitting on the seats next to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take these home. We have tons of them. That's what they're for. And if you don't really feel like picking something up, you'd rather look at me, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen too. So we're going to Ephesians 4. And again, this is the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he starts this part of the letter by saying, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, Paul was, at this time, being held in prison in the city of Rome. He was arrested for speaking about Jesus, his resurrection, and God's grace for both the Jews and the Gentiles, which is just another word for anybody who's not a Jew. But even though he was physically a prisoner at this point, what he's saying isn't about that kind of imprisonment, or at least not just about that, uh, but about a metaphorical imprisonment. When Paul writes that he is a prisoner for the Lord, or of the Lord, no, for, it's a positive statement because unlike most prisoners who don't want to be locked up, They're held captive against their will. Uh, Being a prisoner for the Lord is something that we choose. It's like when you tell your girl that you're a slave to her eyes. Or when you hear that that father over there is wrapped around his baby girl's little finger. Right? It's that kind of slavery. You're saying that you're totally bought in. You would do anything for them, not because you're forced to, but because you want to. You've put on the jersey, so to speak. And then the second half of that, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So what does that mean? Well, in the same way that Aaron Rodgers can't play for two teams, our identity in Christ means we can't live two different lives. In fact, further down, starting in verse 22, Paul writes, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying we can't be a Christian and a non-Christian at the same time. We can't wear our old self and our new self at the same time. We can't play for both teams. Let's take a different approach. Let's talk about food. 
recently there's been a bit of an uptick in the number of people choosing alternative diets. There's a lot more vegetarians, pescatarians, vegans, uh, and gluten-free eatings. What's the term for that? Uh, some people do this for health. Some people do it for social reasons uh, or as a matter of conscience. A few people do it because it's trendy. But here's the point. There's no such thing as a non-practicing vegan, am I right? Right? A vegan can only be a vegan if he or she avoids consuming animal products and byproducts. Not just meat, but also eggs, dairy, honey, uh, gelatin, and other animal-derived substances. It's the definition of vegan. So if you meet someone who says they're a vegan, but you see them down at Pertillo's shoving a Chicago dog into their face, guess what? They're not actually a vegan. It reminds me of the movie uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Has anybody seen that one? Uh, when Scott meets Todd, the third of Ramona's evil exes, uh, he has special psychic powers because he's a vegan. But then Scott tricks him into drinking coffee with half and half, uh, and the vegan police show up and take away his powers because it was his third strike. Yeah, good times. Anyway, what Paul is saying is that there's no such thing as a non-practicing Christian. You either follow Jesus or you don't. You are either seeking after Jesus or you aren't. Now, hold on, because some of you are probably having a strong reaction to that statement. And let me tell you, that statement that you either are or are not has led to some of the worst conflicts in the history of Christianity. Because when some people hear that, they start to think it means that God has given them the official's uniform instead of the player's jersey, and that it's their responsibility to blow the whistle on everyone they think isn't living within the boundaries of Christian values that they have. Well, that's not the case. But have you ever thought to yourself, he says he's a Christian, but look at what he did last week. Or she says she loves Jesus, but did you see her Instagram post? Or any other variant of, they can't really be a Christian because fill in the blank. It's one thing to be discerning, to know right from wrong, and recognize when someone is leading you astray, intentionally or not. But it's very different to don the ref's jersey, blow the whistle, and toss people out of Christianity. So you can't be a vegan and eat hot dogs, and you can't be a non-practicing Christian. But we're also not called to police others on behalf of Jesus. It's a little confusing, but this is where it gets good. Because this is where we get to my favorite part, grace. Consider this quote from Dallas Willard who writes, Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. I was just talking the other day to a friend of mine about how none of us deserves heaven. 
not one of us. Now, none of us can work our way to perfection because perfection includes everything from the very beginning of your life. And by the time you need it, you've already failed. No one can earn the jersey of God's perfection. Going back to Paul again, he writes in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's the most beautiful part. Because it's a free gift. You can't earn it, but you can't do anything bad enough to lose it either. You just have to accept it. God is holding out to you with open hands. And you just have to reach out and take it. He's saying, I love you. And I want you to come back to me. And walk with me. And talk to me. And learn what it's like to live alongside me. And all you have to do is decide that you want that too. And in that decision, God can begin to reshape you into the masterpiece that he always dreamed you could be. But the confusing part is how Paul also tells us in the same letter even to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. So, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. What Dallas, Willard, and Paul are trying to communicate is simply this. You and I are a work in progress. We are a work in progress. We're beautiful. We're messy because we're not done yet. God's still working on us. So I don't have to beat myself about about my past. I don't have to beat myself up. The mistakes that I made, the hurt that I caused. But I am also determined not to live in my past anymore. And that's why, at the same time, I can't beat others up because of their past, their mistakes. But instead, I should start to walk beside them, encourage them, and help them in any way I can as they also grow in Christ. Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received in Christ. And then, he goes and he outlines some of the characteristics of a Christ follower. The language he uses is a contrast between the old life we live behind and the new life we strive toward in Christ. He says, starting in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Then he outlines what a newly formed life in Christ looks like compared to the old life without Jesus. Stop telling lies. Don't let anger control you. Quit stealing. Don't use abusive language. Be kind to each other. And as you look at the comparison on the screen, there it is, which kind of life looks better to you? Which way do you want to live? Which way do you imagine your friends 
and family would want you to behave. I'm guessing you probably don't have a strong desire to live with bitterness and rage, and you probably don't put a lot of value in lies and malice. But let's be honest with each other. I've been a self-professed believer for about 30 years now. And I still have issues with greed, with anger. Sometimes I find myself talking negatively about others when they're not around. And I bet you see some of the things on this list and think to yourself, oh, maybe I'll just not bring that up and no one will notice. I bet you anyone who professes to follow Jesus will still feel like the old life can creep in every now and then. Even in the midst of the new life that we have in Jesus. Right in the middle of it. None of us are perfect. But this is where all those metaphors we've been using break down about the sports and wearing jerseys and such. Because, as we've just seen, it can be possible for both the old and the new life to exist in us. Drew Brees signed a contract that says he'll only play for the Saints. And he can't physically play for two teams at the same time. He agreed to only try to throw the ball to players wearing the Saints jersey. But our jersey, the uniform that we get from God, doesn't come with a contract. It's a relationship between us and God. A covenant. And even though God is perfect and will always uphold his side of the, the agreement, he knows and we know that we are anything but perfect. Which means we'll occasionally find ourselves wearing jerseys for both sides. Have you ever found yourself kind, but still bitter? Compassionate, but still greedy? Forgiving, but also filled with anger? Possibly at the same person at the same time? I recently spent two weeks in the Bahamas. I was working to help uh, rebuild the island's communications infrastructure after Hurricane Dorian. I spent long days meeting with survivors, listening to their stories, understanding their needs. I'd do everything in my power to help them rebuild and get them back online. And then at the end of that two weeks, I came home and I just wanted to be alone. I wasn't particularly gracious with my wife. I didn't go right out and start giving everything to the homeless here in Madison. And it's not because I like the Bahamas better than Wisconsin. I was just tired. To the people of Freeport, I was compassionate and selfless. To my family when I got back, I was distant and selfish. So which one am I? You see, the beautiful, messy, grace-filled answer is that I am both. I'm both compassionate and distant. I'm both selfless and selfish. 
all at the same time. And guess what? So are you. And so are all the other people sitting around you. I hope you hear that as both refreshing and challenging. See, I want to be the same person to my family and friends as I was with the people of the Bahamas. I want that. But I also hope that my family will be gracious with me when I'm not. Because sometimes I won't be. I'm not perfect, and I will have tough days. And that goes for all of us, and the people around us too, which is why we also can't be calling fouls and kicking people out. See, we think to ourselves, that person can't be a Christian because the way he or she was so negative or unkind or whatever. And then we blow the whistle because we look at these passages as if they are rules to be followed instead of a relationship to be cultivated. But I hope that we can be reminded of what we read last week when Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Because what we're really looking at here isn't an obligation to be Jesus' vegan police, but an opportunity. Because we, as a follower of Jesus, we don't have to do this on our own. We can walk with each other. We can encourage each other. We can help each other to strive for better. And although we're the ones striving to become more like Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit living within us that will actually do the hard part with us. It's His power that makes us gentle, loving, patient. It's His love that makes us less greedy, less selfish, and less bitter. You probably know the name Billy Graham. Well, his wife, Ruth, passed away in 2007. And on her gravestone it reads, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Supposedly she chose these words for herself a few years before her death. She saw them on a roadside for a construction zone. And she commented on it saying, What a marvelous image for the Christian life. A work under construction until we go to be with God. That's what I want as my epitaph. So with that, I'm going to ask you now to say this with me. I am a work in progress. That's it. I am a work in progress. If you're with somebody else right now, turn to them and say to them, you are a work in progress. We are a work in progress. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, we come before you knowing that we are still a work in progress, knowing that we aren't there yet. We are imperfect. We are still growing. And so we ask you to move in us 
to stir something in us to try to be better, even though we know we can never achieve it on our own. We can never reach perfection without you because we have already messed it up. But we ask you to wipe clean the sins of our past. We ask you to wipe clean the mistakes that we've made and to fill us instead with a desire to be like you. We ask that you would move in us and through us and empower us to reach the people around us, to be a better community, growing in your grace and in your power. In Jesus' name.